Well, if you have your Bibles, grab them and turn with me to the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1. It's where we were last week, if you were with us last week. Uh, we started uh, our summer series working through First and Second Peter. We're going to jump into First Peter chapter 1 here in just a second. Uh, I know that Troy said a moment ago, Happy Father's Day, but I want to say Happy Father's Day to you guys. Uh, Father's Day is probably my favorite day of the year. Uh, God's used the relationship as father, uh, me and my daughters. Uh, he's used that relationship more than just about any other relationship to teach me about his love and uh, the role of husband. Probably right there, I, uh, those two roles. Um, I'm so grateful that God has allowed me to be a husband and a dad. Um, God has used those two roles to totally, totally change my life. Um, and so I'm so thankful for that. And the rest of my family, uh, my niece snuck in today. So I just want to say shout out to Maddie who came this morning. It's good to see you, Maddie. Um, I want to begin this morning with this Trinitarian blessing in First Peter chapter 1. Uh, the verse 1 and 2 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Can we just do what we did last week? If you were here last week, we just greeted each other with this blessing. Would you just say to the person next to you, uh, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Go ahead, let's do it. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Man, David, you're by yourself over there. I saw that. Grace and peace be yours. There you go. I like it. Grace and peace. I know Father's Day can be very challenging for some. And so to you, I want to say grace and peace be yours in abundance. And to those who are celebrating on Father's Day. This same blessing is true. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn over to chapter 2. We're going to work through chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to anchor ourselves in the middle verses of the chapter. So I want us to read verses 9 through 12, 1 Peter 2, and I want us to read them out loud all together. Okay, we're going to put the verses up on the screen, so everybody out loud all together. Here we go. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's writing to exiles who are scattered uh, throughout what is modern day Turkey. And many of these newly uh, converted Christians are really suffering. They're being persecuted. And Peter is reminding that church and he's reminding this church. He's reminding those people and he's reminding you and I to hold fast to the truth of our salvation even amidst suffering and hardship. Now, to kind of understand the context of what Peter's getting at here in 1 Peter chapter 2, I want you to back up if you have your Bibles. Back up with me all the way back to Exodus chapter 19. 
Exodus 19, God's talking to Moses. It's right before God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. That's in Exodus 20. In Exodus 19, God's talking to Moses about the people of Israel and he's telling them what to say to the people of Israel. So Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6 says this. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and he said, this is what, you're say, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Most of you know this story, right? You know how God rescued his people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, from the hands of the Egyptians. And he says to these people, I want you to be my treasured possession, right? We just read that. I want you to be my special kingdom of priests. He says, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you, Israel, that you would be a nation of priests. And that you would stand between me and the rest of humanity representing my people to to me and representing me to my people. And what did God's people say to all of this? God's people said, no. We don't want to do it your way. We're not going to be your people. We're not going to be a holy nation And we're not going to be a kingdom of priests. And so now, because they said no, Peter is saying, because Israel has rejected their position, God is putting together a new kingdom of priests. He's putting together a new body of people. Through him, he now seeks to accomplish the same purposes he sought to achieve through Israel, but by very different means. So let's keep going. First Peter chapter 2, we're going to just back up a little bit. Verses 4 through verse 7. He says this, As you come to him, the living stone who was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable through God, through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Peter's talking about Jesus. He's saying Jesus is the chief cornerstone. You guys probably remember this story, but Jesus and Peter were talking one day and Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to give you a new name. It's going to be the rock. I'm going to call you the rock. And you're going to be the rock on which I build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You might remember that story. Peter, the rock, who the church was going to be built upon, is saying, hold on, I'm just the rock. But over here is the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Peter's just pointing everybody back to Jesus. And he's using quotes from the Old Testament to remind people of just who Jesus is. Verse 6 
Peter's quoting Isaiah 28, 16, verse 7. He's quoting Psalm 118, 22. And what he's talking about here is, is Israel's rejection of God. They just said, nope. We don't want that. Thank you for the invitation, but no. And because of their rejection, this little group of people in Asia Minor, the local church, you and me, because of their rejection, we have become what verse 9 says, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is who we are, and this is what we were called to do. So real quick, you are God's special possession. You guys get that? You are his special possession. You get that? Uh, I don't know if everybody's with me, so maybe you could just tell the person sitting next to you. <laughs> tell the person sitting next to you, you are God's special possession. Go ahead, tell them. Just make sure you're with me. You're a royal priesthood. Tell them that. You're a royal priesthood. Tell them. Tell them. Yeah, you're a chosen people. Why? What is, what's our role? It's to declare, it's to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into your way. It's just to tell your story. It's just to tell your story. It's to tell God's story. This is who we are. We're God's special possession. We're given a role. You're given a role. You have a role and I have a role. We're given this role as a royal priest. Priest in the Old Testament, the priest was the person who stood between God and people. The priest represented God to the people and the people back to God. Peter is saying, this is the role of the church, that you and I are to be his priests, representing God to the people and representing the people to God. I can't think of a more compelling job description for a dad than this. Dad, your job is to stand between God and your family, representing God to your family and representing your family back to God. And then that's the job description of the church. We are priests. We are the instrument through which the light of God reaches individuals who still sit in spiritual darkness. The local church, it's the hope of the world. There is no plan B. Now, Peter's going to tell these new believers, he's going to tell this new family how to live this out and especially how to live this out in light of suffering. So check out verse 11 and verse 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans or unbelievers, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There's a lot going on here, but just want to back up real quick. If you were here last week, we read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. So because we are already holy, because we have been made this holy priesthood, our doing should reflect our being. Go on being holy. So we are holy, right? That's true. We are holy. Our actions should reflect our beliefs. So there shouldn't be too much different between what we believe and the way in which we behave. Now, the reality is there's grace. Thank goodness for grace. And part of our testimony has got to be 
grace, that when we fail, that when we don't act the way that we believe, that there's got to be grace. But here, Peter's really calling it out. He's really saying, you got to get this one right. Our doing is a natural outflow of our being. He begins this really tenderly, this section. Um, you might uh, just draw your attention back to the first couple words of verse 11. He doesn't, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't talk to the people harshly. He says, dear friends. He says, beloved. He says, hey, I, I'm one of you. I know this is a struggle. I know what it's like, he's saying. I'm joining you here. Stay away from the sinful desires. And he says, these sinful desires wage war against your souls. He says, this whole life, there's going to be a battle. The whole thing is going to be a battle. And it's not just a physical battle, but a battle that wages war against your soul. I don't know if you guys get what he's saying here, but I think some of you do. Does any of you know what he's talking about here? Like in the midst of all of the celebration and in the midst of the in the midst of joy, like Peter says, we've been given this great mercy. We've been filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. We've received the blessing of grace and peace in abundance, and we still have these desires. And we still have these fleshly desires that wage war against the soul. And he's saying, you gotta fight it. You gotta fight it. Peter has a friend. His name is John. He also was a disciple of Jesus. And John wrote some words, some similar words to encourage the church. He said this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Peter would know the wages of war against the soul better than just about anybody else. You guys know his story. You probably know his story. At one minute, one moment, he's like, yes, I will die for you. Like, I will, I'll do whatever it is. And then the next moment, he's saying to people, I don't even know who this guy is. I don't know him. I'm not with him. Peter would get this. He would understand. Dear friends, let us learn to live in the healing and wholeness and holiness that Jesus has come to bring. Let's learn to understand where our evil desires come from. Let's open ourselves up to God and to the people around us, standing fast in the righteousness of Christ that we've been given. Let's allow others into our stories, including the hardest parts of our stories, our wounds, where most of our triggers towards sin happen. And allow the church, allow brothers and sisters to be healing agents, even in the places of our deepest wounds. Peter's pretty hardcore. He's pretty direct. And so verse 12, pretty direct. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Look at that bottom line. Does that sound familiar to anything that you might have heard Jesus say? That they may see your good deeds and glorify God? Does that sound familiar to any of you? Peter would have heard Jesus say that very same thing. 
Peter's quoting Jesus. You might remember the Sermon on the Mount. This is where it comes from. Matthew 5, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put the lamp on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. This is really good news right here. You are the light of the world. Okay, I know you're with me, but I'm just gonna make sure you stay with me. Tell the person sitting next to you, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Not one day, not when you get it all together, not someday, not when everything's great and you've memorized scripture, not you are the light of the world. You're already the light. Now, live as if children of the light, right? He's saying, let your good deeds, Jesus saying, let your good deeds shine before all of the world. Apparently, these new Christians were being accused of doing wrong. And what does Peter say? Peter says, let your light so shine. Let your good deeds shine. Peter is encouraging this little church not to fight back, not to defend, not to argue their point on Facebook, but to just live the life that Jesus has called them to live, called them to love, and to love others regardless of their response. Uh, some time ago, I was handed a note written by a high school kid, high school girl, and I think about this from time to time. Uh, this note said, I want you to be someone I want to grow up to be like. I want you to step up and live by the Bible's standards. I want you to be inexplicably generous, unbelievably faithful, and radically committed. I want you to be noticeably better person than my humanist teacher, than my atheist doctor, than my Hindu next door neighbor. I want you to sell all you have and give to the poor. I want you to not worry about your health like you're afraid of dying. I want you to live like you actually believe the God you preach about. I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Jesus. That's when I'll start listening. That's when I'll start listening. That's when the world will start listening. Peter goes on to remind us, we're just strangers here. This is not our home. The world is not our home. He makes it really clear, and then he, then he takes a deep dive. So check out verse 13 through 20. Real practical direction that Peter has given the local church, which includes you and me. Submit yourselves to, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. And then he's going to explain it just to make sure we get it. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect 
to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Slaves, slaves to God, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. This is where our testimony is going to blaze. When the world sees us hold fast to the truth in the midst of persecution and suffering. When the world sees us, those who bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God's call, of God's love. This is all reminiscent of Jesus. Peter would know these words really well. Again, from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. For they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then Peter ends this chapter reminding this holy nation God's special possession, his chosen people, he reminds them of Jesus. Verses 21 through 25. To this you were called. To this you were called. So let's make no mistake of what the purpose is of being a Christian or being the church. To this you were called, he says. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, you should follow in his steps. That's our command. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's pretty clear. I can't do that by myself. I got to have some people around me that will encourage me to live this way, right? That's why I'm in a small group. Because I need some guys around me to say, yeah, come on, let's do this. We can do this together. I can't do it by myself. I mentioned earlier just how much I love the role of husband and father. It's like my favorite. God's grown me so many ways in those two dynamics. But if I could point to one other spot, to one other space that God has used in my life to cause me to grow, it's through the testimony of those who have experienced suffering and have held fast, have held fast to their love of God in the midst of real suffering as husband and father. I want to tell you two quick stories, two examples. You may know both of these guys. The first is a guy many of you know. His name's Chris Warbach. I met Chris when our younger daughters uh, were in kindergarten, I think. They were, 
And at the time, Chris's older daughter, Alexa, was battling brain cancer that was discovered just after her first birthday. This is a couple of pictures. This is Alexa and Jenna when they were younger, and then Alexa in the middle. And this is Chris and Robin and Jenna. These guys helped us get our church started. Um, They're actually in Hawaii today. Uh, So I got to get to know Chris, and Christy got to get to know Robin, and we hung out together at our little school, Hayes, Hayes, at our little school, Vaughn Elementary. We saw each other on the soccer field, and Alexa's cancer grew worse. And as her cancer grew, we little group of people kind of stood around and cheered him on, prayed like crazy. And Alexa was 11 years old when she died. Many of you remember this. And Christy and I and Sonny and some others, we helped with her funeral. That's maybe 14, 15 years ago, I think. And I have watched Chris all of these years. And I have seen his faith in God as a dad. In the midst of suffering. And that dude's example has changed my life. About the same time that this was going on, one of my lifelong friends, Brian, Brian's wife took a turn for the worse. And after months and months of praying, my friend Brian called me and my other buddy, Ivan, and he said, time to stop praying for healing and it's time to start praying for heaven. We've been praying for healing like crazy and we started praying that God would bring his wife home. These are a couple pictures of Brian. This is when he and his wife, Letitia, got married. Christy and I were in that wedding a long time ago. And then Brian and Letitia and their son Holden when he was a little guy, and this is Letitia. And this is Brian preaching here. Brian preached here a few years ago. You guys might remember that. And I've watched Brian all these years and his faith in God as a husband and as a dad, now a widower, His faith in God in the midst of suffering, unspeakable suffering, I can't even begin to imagine has changed my life. I think that's what Peter's talking about here. Doesn't mean it was easy. There's no way any of this was easy. Not one day. In fact, I bet there were times and are still times when both Chris and Brian would say, it's a war, a war of the soul. I asked Chris about all of this and I asked if he'd just say a word and uh, he posted a blog on uh, the Rally Foundation's website. It'll pop up this morning. He said this, the only way that I was able to function as a father, provider and protector of my daughter and family was to lean on my faith and belief in God. Where else am I gonna go? Brian said something, the same thing when we were talking this week. He said, when you are at the end of your resources, when your world is shattered and nothing will be the same again, the certain knowledge that God is still here keeps you moving forward, perhaps just one foot at a time. But each one in step with the God who loves you beyond eternity. 
And as I look around this room and know some of the stories in this room and some of you guys that are online that can't be in this room, you guys, like Chris and Brian and so many others, are living examples of what Peter is ascribing to here. You are trusting God in this world that it is not our final home. It is not our final home. We're just strangers and aliens here. Believing that one day he's going to wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has gone away for God is making all things new. Peter says, to this you were called. My friend Chris and my friend Brian would say, God can be trusted. In the midst of suffering, God is good. To this, we were called. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting us, your children, here, just as we are, right where we are. And thank you for loving us here and leading us from here. God, I pray that you would comfort the grieving, that you would heal the suffering, that you would continue to rejoice with those who are celebrating and rejoicing, and that you would lead us all home. 